0: Listener production. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and their lands, skies and waterways. I acknowledge that the First Nations across this continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers.
1: Welcome back to another episode. This is Black Matters, a podcast that's about First Nations matters and most importantly, why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network. Joining me as she does every single week is First Nations advocate, Teela Reid. Welcome back. As always, it's a pleasure to see you.
0: Yama, so good to be here with an extra, extra special guest. I am so excited for this one.
1: We're really excited and honoured uh, to have our guests join us on the podcast this week. Now, uh, it's NAIDOC Week, National Aboriginals and Islanders Day Observance Committee. Now, each year we're given a theme, and this year's theme for NAIDOC Week is for our elders. So we thought, what better week on the podcast to be joined by an elder? Nan Millie Ingram, uh, now from Wiradjuri country, grew up on the Irambi Mission near Kara in New South Wales, worked on multiple levels, Aboriginal affairs at both community and for the government, received a Commonwealth Bicentenary Award from former Prime Minister, John Howard for her services to the community and was awarded Woman of the Year in 2010 for her electorate of Hefron. Also a finalist for the 2010 International Woman of the Year. She has done a lot and we are honoured to have her on Black Matters this week. Nan Millie Ingram, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for uh, inviting me here and I too would like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation because I'm from Miradjuri country.
1: Now I wanted to start with probably the stupidest question I will ask during this podcast. So I apologize for getting this out of the way early. If someone is listening right now and doesn't actually understand what a First Nation elder is and their role in their First Nations community, can you just elaborate quite simply what an elder is and what an elder does?
2: An elder is there and they're usually the advisors to the community. And they've lived a whole life and uh, they've got a lot of wisdom. And as things change throughout one's life. So many people do come, young people do come to us as elders and ask for advice and we're there for guidance and support.
0: And of course you are one of our amazing staunch Wiradjuri matriarchs. Um, You are so wise and I certainly feel an affinity with your kinship, your granddaughter, Jaren, who I love and adore, my titter, and just in awe of everything you have done in your life and the things you are still doing for our people.
2: Yes. Well, thank you, Tila. And of course, you're now my uh, adopted granddaughter because <laughs> she was such a titter with my granddaughter, Jaren. And, yes, I've been there for, a, I've been around for a long time and I feel like a dinosaur sometimes. Because no. I talk right back, way back, like when I tell people that I voted in the, in the I voted in the 1962 election and that's because my mother, as soon as we were able to, to vote, my mother always, said the two, two important things she, she pushed for us and that was education and to vote because that's the only time you're truly equal in this country is when you vote. My vote is as good as anybody else's. And then in the 1967 um, referendum, and I voted in that.
1: So we've we've talked about the 1962 election, obviously the referendum which you've just mentioned, which was a massive moment for the rights of First Nations people in this country. You've seen so many incredible moments in Australia throughout your lifetime. But I, I, I want to go back to when you were young. You lived on a mission. What, what was that like?
2: We grew up and we were in to- total control of the mission managers the mission managers were appointed by, um, appointed by the government to be sent out to a mission to look after the Aboriginal people. I think that most people should know that after they stole every bit of land that they possibly could office, there were orders from, Victoria, from um, England for them to start to look after the native people. And to do that, they'd set up all these reserves, and reserves was all over the country, and there was a lot in New South Wales. And they were X amount of um, acres, like our mission at Cowra was 32 acres. There was Cumbra Gunja down on the Victorian border, that was 1,500 acres. There was lots of different acres and they were supposed to put us all on those reserves. The mission managers, I think that I can't think how, where they dragged them up from. They were Mm -hmm. terrible people, these mission managers. And they were just more like commandants of a prisoner of war camp, they were also there to stop us from doing anything. The old men were not not allowed to talk together and you'd see them whispering and, uh, you know, as a child, I remember about 10 years old, listening to them talking in whispering because they were frightened that the mission manager might hear them. As I found out later as an adult, that they were forbidden to talk their language because they might have been plotting against the mission managers or the government plotting for God's sake. And all they wanted to do was still have their um, uh, communication as a community to, to see what they could do, what was better for us. But live, growing up on a mission, I worked for mission, ran, mission managers for rations. And there was about a dozen of us young girls, from 13 onwards or 14 onwards. You had to go and work with the mission manager because you had to help your, your family with food and to put food on the table.
0: So this mission you're talking about in relation to your story is on Miradjuri country, Irambi mission. Yes. Right? You've literally said as a child of, what, 12, 13, 14, you were working essentially as a slave for the mission manager for rations.
1: So, oh, yes so, yes.
0: so people need to understand is that you You weren't getting money what what the rest of Australia was getting. You were getting paid we got, a slip of pa-
2: we got a slip of paper, mm. and the mission manager put on that slip of paper what you could um, what you could buy, and you could only go to a specific shop uh, in the town to buy this. What was on the slip of paper? Like you couldn't buy you couldn't buy jam. You had to buy golden. No, that's why our health was so bad. You could only mm. buy golden syrup. You couldn't buy lots of things. Everything was controlled. Everything was controlled in what you ate. Yeah, It
0: doesn't actually sound that different from what's happening at the moment with the cashless. Welfare card. Oh, yes, yes, that's, that's right. Sounds like a new iteration of it, doesn't it? How oh, it's yeah. controlling our people.
2: I remember um, I remember when they give the apology, when Rudd gave the apology, he said, we, we will not com- commit the same sins of the past. I said, that's all they do is repeat the past and repeat the past all the time. <laughs> mm. And um, I think it's something new, but it's not, no. It, it,
1: when you talk about growing up on missions, it, it literally was a prison without being called a prison. Essentially, your entire oh, yes, life yes, and everything yes. you did, everywhere you went, what you weren't even allowed to speak your native tongue. Everything right. was controlled. No, it just you just weren't in prison greens. Essentially,
2: yeah. Perfect. Although, look, what happened is that we were a community, mm. and at least the community there, and we the, the people that we grew up on that community. That concept was really good of us because we 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 sort of you're friends with them from from right to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of, as we grow old together, you know, I'm still friends with people that I grew up with on that mission, although a lot of them are gone now.
1: I mean, even so, it must it must have been a, a really hard place to grow up.
2: Now, I've always worked. And from the time that I was 14, I started working. Never been on the dole in my life. I've always worked. So when you started to work, you started to realise. Mm. The thing is, on the mission growing up, you didn't know any better. That was life. Mm-hmm. And they kept us ignorant like that. But, you know, if you didn't do as the mission manager said or the welfare board said, they would do two things. They'd take your food or they'd take your kids or they'd throw you off the mission. And to be thrown off at of the mission as an Aboriginal, you had nowhere to go. Where could you go? The the townships and the other towns wherever you went to, uh, you couldn't get any place to live because, unless you had a really, that's why people did overcrowding in Aboriginal houses because you could say with relative because you couldn't even rent a place and I know that when I first came to Sydney, I first came to Sydney in 1958 and trying to find a place to live was pretty horrendous. All you could get was whatever, they couldn't rent anybody else and that's where I started out my life in Sydney in Redfern. Mm. The good thing about that was that there was a lot of industry around Redfin and Waterloo and Surrey Hills and all of those places so you can get employment. Getting a place to live was another thing altogether. So you'd you'd get the little places that were boarding houses and with all the slum landlords, if anybody's out there knows, remember the 50s and the slum landlords? That's where we lived. So you have to come through all that and in the meantime, um, I... Went back and got my re, got my education after I come to Sydney because I was working in a um, in a factory and going and getting reeducated at night, trying to upgrade my skills so I could get better work. Things started to get better, and you just you, you just had to struggle and struggle and struggle, and it seems to be the life of um, of yeah. uh, people of of my era, and so my story is pretty much the same by everybody as my
1: age. Yeah, but but saying that, I, I mean, it isn't like that's how it should be?
2: The struggle, the struggle and, the, you know, the, all the injustices. Like, for instance, my father was a shearer and he was a good worker and when he came home, he'd come home he'd want to um, have a drink with his mates. And to do that he'd have to say he was Maori or Indian or something because they weren't allowed to to Aborigines. And if he got to serve Aborigines, but if he, he got drunk, it was interesting, if he got drunk... He would be fined ten pound in those days. Ten pounds you could buy a house with. Ten pound, my goodness. You know, we can think back of those, but I don't. I don't like to dwell on them. We just understand them and know them.
1: I'm I'm no big drinker by any stretch, but I I cannot imagine being fined the price of a house if I've just gone out and, and I found myself having one too many. So right now you're living in Redfern, Sydney. You're working hard. I was. We, were all, we all wanted to better ourselves. We all wanted to work. Mm.
2: Aboriginal people wanted to work despite all the propaganda, the lies that they spread around about didn't want to work. We did want to work. So while we were doing that, then Charlie came to town. The great Charlie Perkins came to town. And all of a sudden we found, oh well, for me anyway, not all of a sudden, a lot of people fought long before that. But we started to know that we had rights. For those of us who grew up on the Aboriginal Reserves, we didn't know we had rights, actually. And so we started to fight for those rights.
1: You mentioned the great Charlie Perkins, uh, the prolific First Nations activist, first Aboriginal person to graduate university. And, I mean, he, he really led a movement in the 60s. And there's definitely another movement that's happening right now with this upcoming referendum on a voice to parliament.
2: The voice, our voices are not being heard and we are the ones that have solutions. We just don't bring you problems, we bring you solutions. And our fight is not against the, the, uh, the Australian people, our fellow Australians. Our fight is against the system and the pol- politics that are only looking after their own interests and um, that at some stage has got to stop. And I, um, I have faith in the Australian people we just have to wait and see if this referendum will be, there will be a yes vote. And I certainly hope there is a yes vote because that's the only way we're going to go forward. Otherwise, the status quo
1: remains. Now, NAIDOC Week, of course, is uh, this week from July 2nd to July 9th. The theme, again, we mentioned at the start of the podcast is for our elders. What does NAIDOC Week mean to you as an elder?
2: Oh, NAIDOC Week is is good. Uh, we all come together, but we all come together and, and it for us, NAIDOC Week is just a, a big week for our fellow Australians to recognise and to um, enjoy everything Aboriginal culture, but we do it twenty-four-seven mm. all year
0: and to celebrate uh, and, our
2: elders and oh, our elders. Yeah, I'm trying not to think of myself as an elder, but I am. My, <laughs> my great grandchildren, yeah, <laughs> and you know my beautiful great grandchildren, yes, beautiful. And um, our elders are wonderful, and we I. Uh, on the board of an an elders' program over in Ritburn And um, they get worn out during NAIDOC week because everybody calls on them, not only just this year because it's it's, the year of the elders, but every year. And we try to care for them because they've still got a long way to go in that care as well.
1: Um, How do you become an elder? How does that process happen?
2: That I think that is bestowed upon you from the community. Yep. You just can't. A lot of people are coming out and they're crowning themselves like Napoleon. I'm an elder. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, you, do you get approached
1: or is it just, it's just at a point, it's assumed and everyone just...
2: I think everybody knows. knows that it's happened. Who, and they know the gamins too. Um Maybe that's the word of the week.
1: Gammon, the thing that, that strikes me about someone as such as yourself, you've had a life that's been filled with challenge. You've had to overcome so much that many people will never encounter in their life. But you sit here today and you could be bitter, you could be negative, you could be angry, you could be lashing out, but you are so full of hope and full of enthusiasm.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important that we, we stay positive positive. And um, I do have faith in the Australian people. I'm glad it's taken out of the political arena. Uh, At this point in time, now it's going to be
1: up to the Australian people. What's your hope? What's your hope for this country moving forward? Obviously, we've got this referendum later this year. From what you're saying, you're hoping it's a big fat yes. What do you hope will then happen?
2: The voice will be heard, and I just hope that they put the right people on there and don't set up a kitchen cabinet like they did before and just handpick their people to go on. Uh, there's got to be a way, there will be a way to get the right people on there um, to represent the voice of the Aboriginal people. Those people have to have the support of their, uh, their community to get up there and tell them what it is that they want to improve the, the lives of Aboriginal people, particularly our young people. And
0: with your experiences of all of the negotiation you've done through um, even the land rights movement and all all of the iterations of prime ministers you've spoken to, that you've seen, all the premiers and politicians that you've had to deal with. With all of that history, especially being forced onto a mission and liberating yourself from that and your family and to where you are at now with such hope and love in your heart for the people to get this done... What are some of the lessons you would say about why this is so important in the context of all of what's happened? Like, why is this moment for the voice so important?
2: It's important that we have the voice because the voice can, can say things like, for instance, the, the basic card. Whose idea was that and who brought it in?
0: Mm.
2: A billionaire. Mm. A billionaire telling them how Aboriginal people should live with the basic card. Yeah, no, would you A white bu- billionaire? A white billionaire. He developed he initiated that basic card. And all of those wonderful people up there, I've met a lot of the people from the Northern Territory, they're wonderful people, but you know, they've always got non-Aboriginal people saying what's good for them, really what's good for them. And that has to stop. They have to start listening to people and the Voice is only going to talk about changes for better for Aboriginal people. It's not going to impact our fellow Australians one bit. It's not going it? to.
0: Mm.
2: not going to impact them, but it will make for a better life for this country. And I believe that Australians can then walk around anywhere in this planet and, and say, you know, we did the right thing by our country and we did the right thing by our First Nations people But in the meantime, Australia's still having a go at Saudi Arabia or Russia or somebody about their human rights violations. You know, Australians can't go around and and, and keep saying that whilst they have human rights violations here in their own country. And, and um, I think it's
1: important as well country. to say that this isn't just an issue for First Nations people. This is Not, about all the non-Indigenous people as well to stand up, be counted, because a strong First Nations community is a strong Australia.
2: Absolutely, yes. You've put it wonderfully, thanks.
1: Now, here at here at Black Matters, we think that language matters as well. And it's a word that was brought up already in the yes. podcast. So at the end of every single week, we we just like to talk about a First Nations word and what that means in the hope of maybe... Educating people on on First Nation languages. We've already said it in this podcast. I think this yeah. week it's
2: it's got to be gammon. Gammon. There's a lot of gammon people. Gammon. Out there, there's too it.
1: many people out there. Gammon. Explain what gammon means.
2: Uh, gammon means fib, but uh, what they're doing out there is out and out lies. Mm-hmm. Gammon is a nice word, but fib. You hey, gammon. <laughs> they so There's some real gammon people oh, out there. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, there's an ad on the on the. And this guy gets up there and he says, "I always knew I was indigenous, but I just didn't know what it meant." I said, "Well, he's gammoning." He? <laughs> <laughs> it has you
1: know, been. If
2: you're indigenous and you're <laughs> how can you not know what it means? He's so gammon. He's so gammon. It has
1: been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast this week, Nan Millie Ingram. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Oh, wow.